G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. The underlying theme of the Nazarite vow was this, how bad do you want to change? Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. My name is Bill and thanks for joining me on Today with Jeff Vines. How badly do you want to break free from the thing that's binding you and pulling you away from God? On Today with Jeff Vines, Pastor Jeff continues to dive into this question and what it means to take the Nazarite vow. We're looking at Numbers chapter 6, if you want to turn there in your Bible. Again, thanks for joining me as we continue this message now on Today with Jeff Vines. Now, here's what we know about the Nazarite vow. The people who took them, number one, they were desperate. They'd come to the end of the rope. There was an illness that they needed God to get involved in. There was a depression. There was anxiety. There was something going on in their lives they just couldn't conquer. They couldn't shake and they wanted to shake, so they came to God. And the duration of the vow directly corresponded to how bad they wanted God's involvement. How desperate are you? And the question always associated with the Nazarite vow was how badly do you want to overcome what's plaguing you? How badly do you want to shake loose what's binding you? How badly do you want to free yourself of what's strangling you and sucking the life right out of you? Now, when I was in New Zealand, uh, I was in my early 30s, and there was a pastor from another church that started coming to the church that I pastored. He was twice my age. And I grew to love and respect this guy. We started spending some time together. And then I noticed a season in his life when things seemed to not be going well. And I was really concerned for him. And then one day after church, he says, Pastor Jeff, you got five minutes. And I always know five minutes is 30. He said, do you have some time? I said, sure, come on in, man, let's talk. And he got down on his knees, this guy that's twice my age, and began to just weep. And he said, Jeff, can you help me? And I'm thinking, whoa, can you help me? I've had this thing in my life for 30 years and it's finally caught up to me. It's destroying me. It's destroying my marriage. It's going to destroy my ministry. If I don't get hold of this man, I'm telling you, it's going to ruin everything. Can you help me? And I said, well, can you tell me what it is? No, he said. I said, why? He said, that's not important what it is. I just need you to tell me that God is going to lead you to give me some advice here. That's a lot of pressure. We prayed together, and then I told him to do what I've told many people to do before, no matter what age. I said, if there's something in your life that is destroying you, 
and you're desperate and you've tried to overcome it through prayer and through devotion and through counseling and still you don't seem to be able to break hold of the shackles, here's my advice. Take something in your life that you really, really love, something that's common to you, something that is a part of your everyday life and say to God, I am not going to do this again until I have conquered this issue. He heard me say that. And remember, I'm in my young 30s, so I'm not that smart either. And he's thinking, that's it. And you could tell it, something dawned on him and he just ran out of the office. I saw him a week later, he looked terrible. I saw him two weeks later, he looked worse. I saw him the third week, he looked like Gandhi. I'm not saying anything bad about Gandhi, but just imagine what Gandhi looked like. He looked like Gandhi. And I thought, okay, if he comes back next week and he's still going downhill, I got to have a talk with him. He came back the fourth week, but this time... He didn't look as bad, and it looked like as he had made a turn for the better. And he came up to me after the service, Jeff, you got five minutes, which I knew meant 30 minutes. And he came into the office and he said, Jeff, and you could just see the on him. You could see the relief. You could see the victory all over his face. And I wish I could tell you I've got a thousand stories like this, but I don't. I only have one, and this is it. And he said, it worked. I said, what worked? He said, I gave up the thing that I loved the most. I said, what was that? He said, food. He gave up food for a month. And I would never advise you to do that. I mean, you need medical supervision, but that's what he decided to do without asking anybody. I just said, I am not going to eat until I've conquered this thing. I said, well, how did he go? He said, Jeff, the first week it was devastating. Second week it was, I thought I was going to die. And then the third week I settled down and God showed me something. And it was so clear and when I saw this whole situation through the eyes of God, I knew never again would I be tempted and I'd be able to conquer it. Jeff, I've been healed. It's fantastic. And I said to him, tell me what God showed you. And he said, no. <laughs> and I said, why? It was my idea. And he said, because if I showed you, you would not understand. And I thought about that. At first I was angry. Then I thought he's dead right. Because God works individually with us. And what he does in one life doesn't make it normative for every life. He meets you where you are and what you need to see. And what you need to see may make no sense to me at all. Now I want you to keep that in mind as I finish the completion of this vow. In verse 13, now this is the law of the Nazarite when the period of their dedication is over. They are to be brought to the entrance to the tent of meeting. They are then to present their offerings to the Lord. Now stay with me. This is so extravagant here. There's a list. Think about it. No wine. You didn't cut your hair. You're not going through a dead body. You've radically altered the way of common day living. And now here's what you're told to do when all that's over. You're told to bring all these things to the tent of meeting and to sacrifice them on the altar to God. And the list starts out with a year old lamb, a ram without defect, grain offerings, drink offerings, a basket of bread without yeast, cakes made with fine flour, mixed with oil, wafers spread with extravagant oil, thick loaves of bread, the list goes on and on. And scholars look at this and they say, wait a minute, this can't be right because this is an extravagant list. Nobody could afford all this in these days and times. And even if you could afford it, You'd have to have a huge cart and help from a bunch of people to load all this up and get it all the way to the tent of meeting on top of the hill and give it to the priest. Which meant this, scholars said, if you're going to be able to take the Nazarite vow, it's very clear from what is written that you're going to need something. You know what you're going to need? Community, friends, and family who are going to stand behind you the whole time saying, you can't do it. <laughs> 
You can do it. And then they're so into your vow and want you to succeed that they themselves are willing to sell some of their stuff so that you can have what it takes on this cart to bring it to the sacrificial meeting. Scholars tell us that this stuff, this list is the equivalent of hundreds of thousands of dollars in today's world. It's like you bringing your timeshare and your, your second or third car, mortgaging your house, giving your seasoned Dodger or Angel tickets, which you could probably give away right now. <laughs> and you bring it all and you offer it and you're expecting God then to move in a powerful way. And you could not accomplish it unless you had friends who believed in what you were doing, who were there to support you, who held you accountable, and were willing to celebrate at the end. Now, stay with me. Man, this is so good. Just stay right here. It, try to picture in your mind's eye, and I wish I was better at this, but I'm not. Try to focus now on what was happening. Here comes this long-haired guy. We're going to call him Shaggy. He's walking up the hill to the tent of meeting. He's tired, man. He's given up so much and he's got this whole big group of people behind him that love him and are pulling for him. He's pulling this cart up to the tent of meeting. He sacrificed so much and the only thing he has left to his name now is what? His hair. The only thing he has left that he can call his, my hair, this is mine. And it's the first thing to go when he arrives at the tent of meeting. Then at the entrance to the tent, as he arrives, the first thing he does, the Nazarite must shave off the hair that symbolizes their dedication. They are to take the hair and put it in the fire that is under the sacrifice of the fellowship offering. The priest shall then wave these before the Lord as a wave offering. After that, the Nazarite may drink wine. You see what's going on? Scholars struggle with this whole idea of the wave offering. Some scholars believe it's saying goodbye, bye-bye, but, but it's, it's not so much that as it is waving the aroma up to God of a life that has said, I'm so desperate. I'm in such need. I can't shake this issue. And it stands between me and my God. God, do something extraordinary in me, please. Something miraculous, something special. And they bring all of this. They shave the head in public arena. They put it on the sacrificial altar. Now listen, by the age of 13, you're a young boy or young girl in the Jewish culture, a Hebrew culture. By the age of 13, you've got the entire Torah memorized. The first five books of Moses, you've memorized the whole thing. And you've heard about these people who make the Nazarite vow, but you've never actually met one. And then one day your dad says, hey, we're going to go to the tent of meeting today and you're going to meet someone special. And you've heard that there are people who are so passionate about God doing something extraordinary in their lives that they're willing to stop doing something that's ordinary in everyday life. You've heard about that there are people who are so passionate about God doing something life-changing that they're willing to alter significantly their lives, and that they're so desperate for God to do something supernatural in them that they are willing to give up something that's so natural to them. And then one day, you go to the temple, and here's this long-haired dude, and he comes in, and you watch the priest shave all the hair off and take all of these offerings, and here's this man who gets down on his knees, and he looks broken, he looks shattered, and yet when all of this is accomplished, he lifts his face to heaven, and his eyes are open. And it's a picture of discipline, but it's a picture of joy and celebration. And all of his friends are there with him and they applaud. And they're right there in his corner saying, you did it, you did it. And God kept his promise. He did something extraordinary in your life. And then the text ends by this famous verse, the Lord bless you 
and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Now, almost over. You've done so well. I'm so proud. Why did I take you through this? Because in every single one of your lives, in my life, there is that one thing that if you could just conquer, I'm telling you, you would be catapulted across the great divide and your life would change. The joy that would come in, the conquering spirit, the overcoming attitude, the abundant life, it would all just change dramatically. But unfortunately, these things do not go easily. And it takes more than just having some prayer time. Sometimes it takes more than the pastor's prayer or somebody that has the anointing praying over you. It takes more than that to shake the unshakable. Now, it was Father's Day last weekend and I told the story about my dad. And I've just been thinking a lot about my dad. I was thinking about the time again when we lived in the Brandy Chase Apartments up in Cincinnati. And my father actually made the drive to come and see Delaney, his grandson, for the first time, six and a half hours away. And on the way to the house, I told dad about old Sam. And old Sam was a catfish, a carp, that lived in the pond in front of the Brandy Chase Apartments. And all the residents hated him because he was wreaking havoc on the pond. And my dad said, well, why don't you just catch him and throw him out? And I said, guys, all the guys have tried to catch him, dad, and they can't catch him. And they're so frustrated. I said, well, hire a company to come down. He said, no, they don't want to do that. They just want to fish him out. My dad said, have you seen him? I said, yeah, he's ugly. You know, he's about this big. But my dad was a good fisherman. And I could just hear him saying under his breath, these northerners, they don't know how to catch him. This is ridiculous. So he stopped the car even before he'd seen his grandson. He stops the car by the pond. We're not even home yet. Goes around to the back, opens the truck. There's this horde of fishing gear. And this scene starts to develop where the people in the office start to come out on the veranda there and watch this whole thing unfold. People in the Brandy Chase apartments heard there was some old guy out in the pond. They all come out and watch. So my dad, with a big old smile on his face, and you had to know my dad, this big Barney Five type smile. And he gets this bait, goes over, and I watch him sprinkle, I think it's corn, but I saw him sprinkle something right on top of the water where he was going to throw his line in, and he threw it in. I'll bet you that he called old Sam in about a minute. And you got to know my dad. He reels him in, holds him up, Standing ovation. Everybody's applauding. My dad said under his breath, these foreigners, they ain't got no idea. These are from the North, Dab. They're not foreigners. These Northerners, they ain't got no idea. And he held it up and they all clapped. And if you know my dad, you know what happens next. He threw him back in and got back in the car. <laughs> that's, that's, you got to know my dad. I think about that story all the time because my dad taught me a lesson. My dad knew exactly what bait to use. And I'm trying to tell you that why I don't know, but the reality according to scripture is that evil one has the goods on you. And that one issue in your life, he's gonna hone in on it at those seasons of your life when you're about to make progress and you're about to go into the abundant life. The whole time I've been preaching this weekend, there's been something on the screen behind me. Do you know what that is? It's called a strangler fig and it grows in tropical forests. Do you know what it does? Birds will come and drop the seeds down onto the ground. And those seeds will actually take root. And they will get the nourishment. And then this fig will find a host tree. And it will start to surround the tree and wrap itself around it. And year after year, it will begin to strangle it and suck the life right out of it until it kills the tree and takes its place. 
And I'm telling you, that's exactly what's happening in a lot of your lives. That there's something you grabbed hold of. There's something that happened in you. And it was a seed that started to grow. And it's been strangling you for years, but you're too doggone stubborn to admit it. You're a little rebel inside. You think you're strong enough to defeat it. And over time, it's replaced you. You're not even the real you anymore. It's possessed you. It's wrapped itself around you. It's sucked the marrow, the life out of you. And you don't know what to do, and you're not strong enough to do it on your own. It is going to take something radical. It could be envy, bitterness, jealousy. It could be your need for approval. It could be your march towards significance. It could be anything. And only you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, knows what it is. It could even be something like infertility. That you're thinking, why would God not give me a child? I mean, he said, go forth, be fruitful, and multiply. We're trying. God, why? I don't understand. And that seed starts to grow in you. And over time, you get further and further from God. You're separated. It's strangling the life out of you. There's no vitality to your spirituality. You're not living the life because you just don't know why God didn't deliver. And the devil knows what that one thing is. And he's going to keep smacking you with it, smacking you with it. Every time you get close to living the abundant, free life Jesus came to bring. Now, folks, I believe that there's a remedy. I believe that we can contextualize the Nazarite vow. I'm calling on everybody in the room to remember that the underlying theme of the Nazarite vow was this. How bad do you want to change? How far would you go to get God involved and to bring something special, miraculous, extravagant, extraordinary? And if that's where you are, I'm going to challenge you to take an oath. And the oath includes three things. Number one, sacrifice something meaningful. There is only one thing in my life that if I was serious about getting God involved that I could sacrifice, what would it be? That's right. See, it's interesting how all of you knew that. Because I talk about it all the time. See, it can't be chocolate or coffee. It's got to be something that's so central to my life, I'm saying for a season, I'm going to deny myself this thing. I don't know what it's meaningful in your life, but whatever that central thing is. Now remember, husbands, wives, you can't sacrifice your wife, kids. No, no, that's off limits. Okay, you can't do one thing by violating another biblical principle. There's nothing violating a biblical principle by giving up golf, though, is there? Please, if you want to take the vow, sacrifice something meaningful. Second, change something about yourself. We gave you these bracelets when you come in. It could be something as simple as wearing this bracelet so that when people see you, they know, hey, you're in the middle of a vow. And I'm going to respect that. Share the vow with your inner circle. Let them know what it is so they don't tempt you into that area so that they can be your encouragers behind you saying, you can do it. You can do it. Sacrifice and change something about yourself. It could be anything. You could grow your hair. You could cut your hair off. I don't care what it is, but do something that's between you and God. Third, offer something to God that is so valuable that there's no way you can do it on your own. You're going to need your friends to help you. Now, when I first started doing this, I thought, I tell, I know what we'll do. I'll have them write this vow and then bring their offering to God. Then I thought, no, don't want to do that because there's always going to be somebody that says, oh, this is just another ploy to somehow get more money into the church. No, as a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you, don't do that. If you decide that there's something that's going to cost you a lot, do not bring it to the church. Give it to somebody you know 
at workplace or in your community that's in need. Maybe God will lead you to help somebody get into an apartment or pay an electric bill or do something, but help them do that. Now, I want you to take a look at this. Here's the beauty of this passage. Jesus came from the town of what? Nazareth. Nazareth is a derivative of Nazir. Jesus came from Nazareth because he's the ultimate in taking the Nazarite vow. Every Old Testament narrative leads to the truth of the gospel. Can I ask you something? What huge thing did God need to overcome? Your sin and mine. Because ultimately he wants a relationship with us. And guess what Jesus did? He entered into the ultimate Nazarite vow. Did he sacrifice something meaningful? The Bible said he didn't have a place to lay his head. The creator, sustainer of the universe doesn't have a place to sleep. He gets hungry. He gets tired. He gave up something meaningful. Did he change something about himself? Philippians 2. He took on the form of man. God took on the form. He changed his appearance. And in appearance, he looked as if he were a man. And he took on the nature of a bondservant and made his way to the cross for you and me. Did he offer something to God? Oh, duh. His life, he gave his life so that you and I could go free. He's the ultimate Nazarite. He took the ultimate vow. And guess what happened? When the consummation or completion occurred, when he came to the great tent of meeting and he offered himself on the cross and everything he had, what was the next move? The Bible says he seated at the right hand of the Father. He saw the face of God. And I'm telling you, if you enter into this vow and you keep that vow, sooner or later along the path, you will see God. And you will see your situation through the eyes of God. And it will give you strength and power to overcome. Is anybody in? Man. The Bible says... That for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the vow. For what was going to come, he endured this season of radically changing his life. Jesus does. And now he's on the right hand of the Father. And now the sin that so easily entangles us and tries to choke the life out of us, if we'll go into the vow and endure what is required knowing that the joy that is set before us will put us on the right hand of the Father, you too will overcome. It's your call. Father, thank you so much for the power of Numbers chapter 6. I, I thank you that you revealed to us the power of the vow anytime we enter into a covenant with you. Father, we know this is not something to manipulate you. We know this is not something to coerce you in doing what we want you to do. Rather, it is an experience into which we enter where we believe that you will do something extraordinary in us, that you'll do something special, something miraculous, something amazing, where we will learn what it is to be an overcomer. I pray desperately for the people in this room that have, they know what their issue is. It might be an illness. It might be they want their marriage to be restored. It might be they want their children to come home. It might be that they just want this one thing to go away, to dissipate, or at least to conquer it and live above those circumstances, I pray, encourage them to make the vow and give them the sign and give them the vision. Give them a Jesus revelation. 
where they can be seated in community with God and see this whole situation through your eyes is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining me as we've looked into this powerful passage of Numbers chapter 6. And I really pray that you can give your problems up to God and that you're filled with wisdom to see your situation through God's eyes. Join me next time for the last message in this series, Wrestling with God. We'll be looking at what it means to walk with God. The question is, if I ask you, what makes you think you're gonna get to live with God in eternity? Most of the time when I ask people that, I get a subjective answer, an answer that is based on feeling and emotion, but there's no objectivity to it whatsoever. Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.